with me today. He is a U.S. Senate candidate out of New Hampshire, running as a Republican. He is Bruce Fenton. Bruce, are you ready to roar? I'm ready to roar. All right, now, Bruce, I, as we were talking about before the show, I, I got a little distracted by your incredible comic book collection and all, all the merchandise you had back there. Just finished an interview with Eric July about the Riververse. We could probably do a couple hours on comic book fandom, but it's, it's not exactly what we're here to talk about today, but we'll see if we can work it in somewhere. Um, but why don't you just start? So maybe you can give me a little bit of background into yourself. I know you've been heavily involved in uh, cryptocurrency uh, up in New Hampshire as well. So maybe just give us a little bit of your background and then kind of segue into just why you are running for Senate right now. Yeah, sure. So, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a dad and a husband and uh uh, you know, I own a farm here in New Hampshire, and uh, I've, I've been in the investment business for about 30 years, and I've uh, been in crypto for about nine, uh, mostly Bitcoin. And uh, I'm somebody who cares a lot about freedom and human rights and liberty and the Constitution. And so I figured that you know somebody's got to do something. Why not me? And how did you get your start into the uh, the whole liberty, libertarian world, into politics? When did you first take interest in all that? I've been interested in politics since I was in high school. You know, I, I, I volunteered. I was kind of a conventional Republican as a high school kid. You know, I volunteered on campaigns and things like that. And then later on in life, I became much more libertarian and independent. I supported some independent candidates. Um, I, I was even against the Republicans at some point, especially about the war, George W. Bush, uh, the Iraq war, uh, but mostly liberty. You know, it was really probably 2008 that I, my modern kind of beliefs really were formed uh, when I started uh, becoming a bigger fan of Ron Paul. Uh, with the, the Tea Party movement and Ron Paul and that kind of thing really got me to thinking about liberty. And that's when I started coming to New Hampshire and Porkfest and things like that. Um, yeah, actually, probably a little bit before that. But, you know, around that time period, you know, that that really Ron Paul especially really shaped my views. And uh, and that kind of tied into crypto, too. You know, it was, there was an overlapping community. It was the free staters that taught me about Bitcoin. That was the first time I heard about Bitcoin was at Porkfest in, I think, 2012 or something like that. So, you know, there's a lot of overlap. It's certainly a familiar story to be at least partially inspired uh, by Ron Paul. It's certainly the story of this podcast. I'm curious how much of Ron Paul's political path and the way he went about things in the political sense inspired your particular political path here. Yeah, I mean, his the 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 fact that you know how he voted, always voting no, pretty much. You know that inspires me. Uh, the fact that I I think he's made a difference. He certainly furthered liberty. Uh, you know, those, those kind of things inspire me, but, you know, to be honest, like the, the whole political process is kind of, uh, in need of a lot of improvement. Let's put it that way. I didn't want to say, I don't want to be too negative, but you know, the whole you can process be. people is- call me black belt all the time. So you can, you can be <laughs> as negative as you need to be. Yeah. I mean, it's a broken process, the whole, the whole thing. So it's hard to, it's hard to sort of model anybody because, uh, you know, every race is different. Every politician is different, but you know, the, the core principles of staying true to the Constitution and liberty and human freedom, you know, that's what really matters. And we need a lot more of that. Were you ever involved in, in politics at all, whether in the Republican Party, the Libertarian Party before this? Or is this are you starting fresh here? I've never even run for dog catcher before. And here I am running for United States Senate. So, uh, yeah, my first my first foray into politics. So. I don't want to take a guess here, but was it, were there, was there something about the events of the last two years that played into why it is this moment in time that you have become inspired to become involved with politics? A hundred percent. And that's a, that's probably one of the most common questions. And that's how I always answer it. It's the, why I decided is because of where our world is now. Okay. We're in a fourth turning, an epic shift. You know, there's a book called the fourth turning by Strauss and how it talks about how every hundred years, the world changes, everything changes, borders, systems, who we trust, uh, money, 
everything changes. And this happens, and it's clearly happening right now. We're in a fourth turning. We're in a time of epic change and epic shifting. And we're going to go one way or another. We're going to go a path towards tyranny or a path towards freedom. And the last couple of years really, really concerned me because it's a path towards tyranny, the kind of tyranny that we just can't have. I can't allow it on my watch. If there's anything I can do about it, I've got to fight it because otherwise we're going to have a generation of boots on heads and our kids wearing masks and political signals and having movement passes for a generation. And that's just not acceptable. It's not America. So yeah, the last, the last couple of years are big effect. I wouldn't be running if we didn't have this tyranny of the last couple of years. How much of the the COVID regime and, and the COVID tyranny, how much of that impacted you directly? Um, whether it was anything that might've impacted just your, your physical presence there on the ground. I assume it's less than it impacted me at the time I was living in Los Angeles, no longer am. Uh, but I, I'm just curious, how how much were you personally affected by it as opposed to maybe just what you're viewing from afar and, and kind of pointing out the tyranny of? Yeah, I've never answered a question about uh, whether I've taken a vax. The answer is no, but I, I've never uh, submitted to, to any vax pass uh, I've never submitted to a movement pass. I've only worn a mask about 10 times, typically flights and a couple doctor's office. Um, my kids were forced to wear a mask and that, I took that personally. I took it personally. I went into the school board meetings eight times. I got removed by police five <laughs> times. Not arrested, just removed. Yeah, well, I'm a registered investment advisor and I do have a big mouth and I cause a lot of trouble, but I also care about my licenses and I do care about the law. So I, I'm careful. I called the police first. I called the attorney general, you know, I make sure exactly when you get arrested and stuff like that and what the policy was. But the reason that I was protesting that is because I believe there was a political signal. Uh, the masks were mandated by a school board that weren't wearing masks themselves. So they weren't really doing it because of health. They're doing it because of signal that says, look at me, I'm with the Pelosi church of woke and that's fine. People can be whatever church they want and they can do whatever stupid beliefs they want. And I support that. And I defend that right. Ironically, right before, right before the lockdown, I was defending the right of people to cover their faces because in, in uh, England, they were going to ban face coverings because they want the surveillance cameras. And uh, there's some people uh, that, that wear face coverings. And um, so I, I, I little defend, did you know, you wouldn't have to make that argument for, for long. I, I defend somebody's right to wear a headscarf or a face covering or a political signal or a mask or whatever they want. I defend that right. But I absolutely don't have that right to, te- to tell my kids to wear that political signal any more than anybody has the right to tell them to wear a, a Bruce Fenton shirt or a MAGA hat. I think one thing that you mentioned there, you know, having kids, and I think that that's something that a lot of people has caused a lot of people to maybe look at things differently in the last couple of years. It's almost even one thing if they're trying to force an adult to take a jab, which would also be terrible and horrible. And it, and it's also just one thing if they're pushing sexuality or drag shows on adults. I would still be kind of like, you know, weirded out by all that. But I think in the last couple of years, I don't know if it's new or if it's just come to light more and people are noticing it more. How much of this stuff is targeted at ch- children, whether it's sexuality, uh, whether it is uh, simply uh, pushing, uh, uh, you know, pushing kids to be shot with a, a, an unknown substance, essentially. It's, is that part and you as someone having kids, is that kind of an extra driver for you seeing like, all right, this is too far. Yeah. And I, I like what you said. I, I, I broaden it a little bit more, you know, to this kind of, you know, I, I'd say it jokingly, Church of Woke, but it really is a very serious thing because this movement is acting like a church and it's acting like a new religion and not a good one. You know, there's religions that have killed millions of people. You know, there's some bad religions. This is acting like a bad religion. It's got high priests and, and heretics and dogma and everything else. 
That's a lab coat instead of a, you know, lab coat's the new robe. Yes, exactly. Scientists, you know, and, so, and, and, you know, racist is, and, and you know, everybody's a racist, you know, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of things going on in this, but ultimately it's an exporting of centralized, um, identity politic driven communist style thinking, you know, and it's a, it's a broken, bad ideology. So it's pushed by, you know, so you see these crazy things like there's one website they tracked 70, you mentioned the drag shows is 70 incidences. This isn't just two or three things. This is, they had at least 70 documented cases of drag shows doing performances uh, for drag queens doing performances for kids. And you have these diversity and other initiatives, which, which are disguised as diversity, but they're really highly partisan political, um, movements that are trying to make people's identity based on race or or skin color or religion or other factors uh and they're trying to do a lot of other things redefine words uh decrease the value of, of the family um you know fundamental things that that are broken you know <laughs> like 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 not even being able to define the word woman when we have a supreme court justice who couldn't define the word woman I mean that's absurd. That that's that's going down a a very b- bad path. If we don't know what basic words mean, then that means that a mob can just decide what the words mean, and they can very easily use that to justify tyranny, which they already do. They already do with words like terrorism and and racist and and other things like that. You know, in canceling. Um, so it's a it's bigger. It's bigger than we realize. Bigger than a lot of people realize. It's more than just the you know what they're doing to the kids. It's an overall ideology and that's an ideology of china it's an ideology that leads to central control and boots on heads and cbdc's you know central bank digital currencies locking our money down uh you know very very serious stuff it's very grave times and this is you know, something that i'm trying to get across in the campaign trail this isn't normal times this is different and and very serious times that we we need people who understand and care about these things towards what you you said there uh in terms of kind of your motivation behind all this and, and seeing how it, it is sort of what we're seeing now, it, it's it's not even an attack against anything specific. It is if you look at it, you know, compartmentalized, you look at mass mandates or jabs or CRT or whatever it may be. When you look at it in an overall way, it almost seems like it's an attack on just meaning, on, right. on anything meaning anything. It, it seems yeah. like it's a, a full-on nihilistic assault. Right. They want, they want, the movement wants people to worship the state and the state's agents, which are now scientists, you know, and basically this this weird kind of vague ideology, you know, the Bible calls it powers and principalities, you know, sort of this just vague evil. And it's it's a real thing, whether, whether you're religious or not, believe in the Bible or not, it's a real thing in, throughout human history. There's been times that are just evil, crappy, horrible times. And you can't quite point, sometimes you can point and say, oh, yes, it was Stalin. You can point to an individual. It's It takes more than an individual, though. It's a system and a state. You need the state apparatus. And it's happened many, 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 many times in history where we've just had times where things are just bad. And uh, it, it's it's driven you know, by this this just kind of, evil ideology and i think that's clear now you know they're trying to def- de- change the what what things mean and and you know the very fundamentals of how our world works when is it okay to use force the things that you're taught in when so hopefully or i was taught when i was five years old don't hit anybody unless they hit you well that's out the window now. well now it's violence if you you know you you say a woman can't you say a man can't give birth right right yeah if they say something yeah if they say a man can't give birth you can bat them over the head and crack their head on the streets of san francisco and they die in a pool of blood and that's absurd. 
that's not humanity. It's not, it, these aren't workable systems. You know, when I was a little kid, you know, I learned that how the government worked and there was nothing in there that said, you know, you get a scientist in charge. You know, you I mean, we, 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 we know a decent amount about disease and infectious disease and the spread of disease. Nowhere in any document of any, of anything was, for one thing, in the United States, we didn't even have lockdowns considered. We, we had all these scenarios with the CDC. They're supposed to be there, protecting us. They're ready in case there's a big thing. And this is finally the big thing. Well, they had all these scenarios. Nowhere in there was anything saying the lockdown in the country, even for something much worse that was proven to be much worse. Um, so, they, you know, it's just fundamentally flawed kind of things that are going on in the world. We should be quite concerned about and really work hard to fix it. We can fix it. It's pretty simple. We just go back to the basics like the Constitution. All right, gang. Well, if you're looking to get your mind your body back to the basics. One great way to do that is with the help of the fantastic CBD products from our friends, Carlos and Vanessa Abelar over at Paloma Verde CBD. You can find them at palomaverdecbd.com. And these guys have amazing products to help you sleep. If you got that insomnia that I've always had, or if you got those aches and pains like I do now have, now that I'm in my forties, they got stuff to help you with everything. The CBD, of course, is the part of the cannabis product that is not psychoactive. So it has all the benefits without, well, some of the benefits, uh, depending on, on your perspective on things. But you don't have to worry about getting high or or getting the munchies or anything like that. You can just get the fine, soothing sensation of CBD. Again, find those CBD products, the salves, the gummies, all that fantastic stuff over at PalomaVerdeCBD.com and use discount code ROAR for 20% off your order and free shipping over $75. You just can't beat the steel kids. How do you view your campaign in terms of waging this battle? Are you running a campaign to bring attention to issues or are you, do you really see a chance for yourself to take this nomination uh, for the Republican party in New Hampshire and, and, and really be competitive for this Senate seat? How, I guess, how real is this to you in, in that sense? Oh, it's super real. I've got a great chance. Um, there's, uh, you know, four other major primary opponents and I've raised more money than all of them combined. I got more social media than all of them combined. I got more potential new donors than all of them combined. And I've been in the le race less than almost all of them. I've only been doing this a couple months. And uh, on the on the debate, my comments on the debate got 500,000 views. And the, the original debate only got a couple thousand views. So people like the message. I'm working hard on the road, got a campaign van. I'm going everywhere. I've been to, I started 6 a.m. today. I came back. I'm doing a couple interviews. I'm going out as soon as this interview's done, going over to Nashua to speak at a, at a meeting there. So I've been getting the message out. Very, very winnable absolutely winnable. I can win the primary. And if I win the primary, the general is very, very winnable. You know, my opponent in the general election is, you know, she's had uh, polls in the 30%. And, uh, you know, she's she's an unpopular Democrat, single term. She only won by a thousand votes last time. And there was another candidate who had wow. 17,000 votes. He, he endorsed me day one. So if we had exactly the same numbers as last time, I'd win by 16,000 votes. And she knows these numbers. So she's afraid. That's why she's targeting me more than my opponents. Uh, so absolutely, I I can win the primary. That's the biggest step, and the, and maybe even the hardest step. And then uh, if you win the primary, you get a lot of national support as well. And I have a lot of other support that you know that any candidate would get. Um, but I can bring in the most libertarians and independents and free staters uh, because that's what I am. So I, you know, I can definitely win. Uh, and, and then I'd be the next senator from New Hampshire. How has how much has has I, I'm phrasing this as a question, but it's really not. How much has your decision 
to run as a Republican as opposed to, say, in a third party, like the Libertarian Party? How Was that basically because you want to win and you know that's where you could win, whereas it's just not possible in the third party? Yeah, I'm a Libertarian. Uh, I love the Libertarian candidate. He's a good friend of mine. I love all yeah, the He was actually my guest last week, so I'm not not trying to cause that. I know you guys are friends, so I'm not, yeah, <laughs> I'm not trying to cause all the controversy. Good folks. I mean, we're all like the same community. It was just kind of, we all kind of laughed when we, you know, like, no, they didn't, some didn't realize I ran, I was going to run and stuff. It's, it's all good. We're all friends. I mean, we we all go to cookouts to each other. The free state is a pretty tight knit community and uh, we support Liberty. We support Liberty above all else. So um, I love the libertarians. I, I, I consider myself one of them. I still retweet the libertarian stuff and they invite me to their events and things like that. I did do it as a Republican because, uh, you know, you, you, there's a growing Liberty movement in the Republican party at a federal level with people like Rand Paul and Thomas Massey and all the way down to the local level and the state level. And here in New Hampshire, we have at least 80, uh, you know, on some issues more like 150, but we have at least 80 really solid uh, Liberty representatives in our state house. So there's a growing Liberty Republican movement that I'd like to help. I think that's one of the best hopes for the country. The Libertarians just don't hold much, many positions, but the Liberty Republicans do. And if we had more Republicans who are like Rand Paul and Ron Paul, maybe that could be the, the, the face of the, of the new party. That would be a wonderful thing. And when you mentioned earlier that 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 race was only won by a thousand uh, seats last year. Again, not trying to cause controversy here, but it does, does make me wonder. I mean, if you do get that Republican nomination and we're talking about a race that could be within 500, a thousand, 2000 votes or something like that. Um, have you talked to Jeremy like about like, what if this actually looks close and he's actually got a little bit of support. And I mean, is there any, has there been any kind of behind the scenes about how that might look? Cause I know, I know he did mention last week when he, when I talked to him that he would never do anything to stop you from winning, which kind of implies that he might do something if that scenario came up, but I'm, you know, I'm I think just, we all love Liberty. I'll just leave it at that. Okay. You know, we love Liberty <laughs> and we stick together. <laughs> all right. I think, I think that's fair. I think we get where uh, every, that's, that's kind of what uh, one of the, our commenters just, just sort of asked there too. How much of a threat is Jeremy Kaufman's campaign for the Senate position? I mean, we know uh, Jeremy himself will admit he's not competitive in terms of being able to win the seat. And, and again, that's why you're choosing that, uh, that Republican party vehicle. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about how you see this, you know, you can, if you can get past this primary, how you really see this playing out. And, and I'm really curious how you've been amongst whatever might make up the, the sort of the establishment Republicans of the New Hampshire party. Have you been welcomed in as, you know, uh, somebody that fits in really well, whose libertarian values can jive with this, or have there been those that maybe look, look at you with skepticism saying, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a, a guy or two that thinks that's, that that's their nomination. Cause they've been in this spot for 20 years or something like that. So what, what's it been like for you? Yeah, it's a little of both. You know, I get an overall very good response when I go to these town committee meetings and you know meeting people people like the message i talk uh you know about what i believe i talk from the heart without notes and without consultants and it resonates people people like what i say they like you know how i say it and they agree with how i would vote so i do get a lot of supporters from that um and and i win over some of the establishment folks and some of the the interesting thing is being a libertarian me being the strongest in the general is actually a drawback in the primary because this is a Republican primary. It's 100% Republicans, red hat wearing diehard Republicans. I'm really a libertarian out, out here, you know. And does New Hampshire have an, a closed primary or, or an open primary? It's open. Uh, uh, so, so you get a lot of, you know, I do get the, the, for example, every third meeting or so, somebody doesn't like my position on drugs. I believe in decriminalizing drugs. I don't, I don't want any laws at all about the drugs, honestly. Um, and I'd certainly start with decriminalizing marijuana or something. A lot of people think that's crazy, you know, cause remember we, we have, we have like sheriffs and other people who are in the party who are running for office as well. And they're running on 
like, uh, you know, get rid of drugs kind of thing. So I think some of them probably think my ideas are a little out there. Um, but, but the, the important thing is like what we said at the very beginning of the, of the podcast, which is we're in these extraordinary times. And I, I try and emphasize this to everybody, even Democrats, even socialists. I say, look, we're in these extraordinary times of change and we've got to get this right. And, and that's something that can re- resonate because there's even, even people on the opposite side, um, you know, very far left Democrats, who just, they're looking at the world saying this isn't quite right. The, you know, the government's saying what is true and uh, aiding in censorship of social media, um, a scientist who can shut down the world. You know, these aren't workable systems. They're not, they're not good systems. So talking about those things, I think, resonates with a lot of people, no matter what they are. But it, ironically, in the primary, you got to really go right, you know, uh, to, because you've got to get those, those primary voters. Only 150,000 people vote in the primary. So, you know, they're the diehard Republicans. So how do you go about kind of messaging to maybe more standard Republicans who might agree with you on a lot and that you might be able to make some headway with, but then maybe they get to that one of these issues like drugs or whatever it may be where they're like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I, I like everything else you're saying, but I, that kind of makes me feel a little, little queasy. <laughs> I try and convince them that I'm right. You know, I talk about Portugal mm-hmm. in the case of drugs. I talk about, you know, the vast costs. I say, okay, I get you don't like weed, uh, but is, but. But have you tried some? Yeah, have you tried it? Because <laughs> <laughs> that might change right, your view. Exactly, but. that might be a good. You know what? That might be a good technique. Actually, maybe I'll bring a bong to these <laughs> to these Republican town committee meetings. Might get some press. Um, it, but, it would definitely get some press. <laughs> <laughs> have you tried it yet? It could just be your one I, of your campaigns. I shouldn't reveal this because I might want to use it as a trick later. But I well no I'm well no I was gonna have a I was gonna have a, a fake joint in my pocket one time in, in in the debate in case a drug question came up. I didn't want to do a real joke. I didn't want to get arrested walking off the stage, but I thought it'd be sure, funny. Yeah. It'd be the same kind of, you know, if they asked like, what do you think about drugs? I was going to pull it out and <laughs> <laughs> I was going to do that one time. But, but um, yeah, the, the, you know, you know, I think educating people, trying to convince them why I'm right. And if they just totally disagree, then I say, Hey, look, you may disagree, but I'm more electable than the other people. You really, the number one goal you want to win, and you, you may disagree with me, but you, everybody agrees I'm better than Hassan, the Democrat who's in charge now. Um, so, you know, I think I win some people over. It's, it's pretty, it's a pretty friendly process. Generally, you know, it's a lot of volunteers and stuff. So I don't get a lot of negative feedback. You know, even those who dis- disagree, they, they agree with me on 80% or 90%, you know, and they, and they really like what I talk about, you know, the, the uh, medical tyranny. And I mean, there's, I say a lot of things and I don't edit my comments much and I have a lot of opinions. And so nobody's going to like everything I say, you know, you're just not like uh, the very few people would like everything. There's always going to be something you disagree with, but I think most people agree with most things that I say. You mentioned, uh, now obviously a a big part of your campaign is running against this COVID tyranny, uh, against vaccine mandates and this sort of thing. But I am kind of curious your view on maybe from like the sense of your libertarian philosophy, how you jive with how some states have actually fought back against this. So like for, for example, uh, you know, DeSantis in Florida passing a law against companies allowing vaccine mandates. Um, now, from the pure libertarian sense, if we hadn't seen anything else happening around us, you would say, of course, a business should be allowed to do what they want. But in the context of these extraordinary times, as you mentioned, I'm curious how you see actions like that. Um, if you would support actions like that at any kind of government level, or does that kind of, you know, does that rub against your libertarian philosophy too much? Yeah, that's a great question. It really is. And 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 it's it's nuanced and not 
super easy to answer. I've thought a lot about that because you're absolutely right. It, it, it is against libertarian principles to tell a business what to do, but it is also one of the very few, there's only a few things that is legitimate for government, protecting life, liberty, property, and maybe enforcement of contracts. And it, there, there is a, a very weird, because we're in this fourth turning and things are so, so, so strange. Um, it is probably a time for government to protect the, the citizens from this kind of tyranny and this kind of you know robbing of liberty. When you say people can't work or can't use their money, um, you know, social media is another one. I'm I'm in favor of privately owned social media companies or any other company being allow, able to allow whoever they want, whenever they want, and boot people for whatever reason. Uh, and I, I'm not in favor, especially at a federal level of legislation, um, you know, kind of mandating that they let people stay on. But we have a lot of problems with this when we have like the CDC telling social media the, these accounts are misinformation and then they get banned, sure. you know, this kind of cooperation. So, you know, we, you, you can't, it's not as simple as just saying, hey, Facebook's private, they can do what they want. Well, yeah, but when you have the federal government bring them into hearings and talking to them and telling them what's true and what's not true, and they have a line between, they have a whole office at the CDC that just talks to a whole office at Facebook. I can't get a, a hold wow. of a person at Facebook or Twitter. Mm -hmm. You can't. I mean, I, I think, I think, you know, I know famous people who have a million followers who can't get anybody, they can't even get verified. They can't get anybody on the, on the phone at Twitter, but it's it, crazy how a company that big, like literally doesn't have customer service, yeah, no customer service. If you're in the woke mob and you work for, for Biden or Pelosi or something, boy, you, you can get, you can get people banned and they do this. They, they admitted it at a white house press conference. The CDC called them up and said, we don't like these accounts. Boom. They're gone. That's not right. So, so you, you have such an overbearing. Uh, tyranny over the last couple of years that, you know, yeah, I think that, you know, and DeSantis, I like a lot. And I, I mean, he must know the bill a lot better than I do. So, uh, you know, I, I, pro I, I could definitely, although it's against my normal Liberty principles, I would know, but, but you, you know, it is a role. And here's another interesting thing that's related to that. Um, when you talk about, you know, ideally the libertarian principle is to eliminate everything at the federal level and push it down to the state. And then you push from the state down to the, to the towns and then from the towns to the individual. And I agree with that. And I want to, you know, vote basically no on everything at the federal level and push it down. The, the one, one of the few exceptions is the, it is the duty of the higher roles of government to protect you from the lower rungs of government. So the federal government should protect you from your state doing stupid nonsense like making you wear masks. And your state should protect you from your stupid school board or your local yokel trying to tell you, you know, because it's hard to fight. I, I tried to fight the school board. It's very difficult. You know, it's hard to get them fired. It's like, it takes a lot of resources. You can't gather a grassroots movement. So I'm not going to get 300 people to show up to the school board because, you know, there's only so many parents in the, in the town. You know what I mean? So it's an enormous amount of fighting uh, that you have to do to get your rights back when they're taken. So I would be in favor of something like, a, you know, say a state law that says school, school, when we tried to pass this just recently, a state, or we did pass it, but it got vetoed. A state law that says the schools can't make you kids, your kids wear a mask, or a federal law that says the state can't allow these kind of things. So th those are the legitimate uses of, of government to protect people's liberty. But that's it. I mean, it's kind of the great libertarian dilemma. I mean, almost at, at any level. I mean, there are libertarians who would say even you going to the school board meeting makes you a sadist because the school shouldn't exist. So why are we even even dealing with this? Uh, but I, I think it just speaks to a reality that no matter. What we're looking at, like you're, you're probably not turning all your neighbors libertarian tomorrow. Um, so therefore, we have to kind of look at the institutions that are in place, look at how they're violating rights. And yeah, sometimes 
support something that might not be purely libertarian, but it's not like we're choosing between the not quite purely libertarian and the purely libertarian. We're choosing between the not quite purely libertarian and the pure tyranny. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. We've got to fight this tyranny because it's so bad and so pervasive, you know, and you, and you can't be too much of a libertarian purist. I, 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 I talked to a libertarian at a meeting one time and somehow I mentioned, uh, D-Day or Saving Private Ryan or something like that. I said, I said something about them being brave. I think it was, I think it was the D-Day anniversary or something. I said something about those, those brave men who went to the, uh, 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 on the shore, you know, facing those machine guns to fight Nazis. And he looked at me, he says, bunch of statists. <laughs> so, <laughs> and wasn't being sarcastic. Yeah, no, or, he's, he's yeah. a, you know, when it, there's, there's, and there's a lot of characters, those people in the Liberty movement, you're, you have a lot in your audience who know this. There's a lot of characters. In and and a lot of audience who probably are this, yeah, but whatever. I just went up. To, yeah. You, that person might be on the thing. I went up to Porkfest a week ago. <laughs> there's, there's folks like that. They're so anti-government that even the, even the guys that were fighting, not, they're like, Nope, status. He was wearing a uniform. He's a status, you know? Um, so there's definitely different degrees of it, but you don't want to be too purist that you, for, you lose the forest for the trees, because if we didn't fight the Nazis, then we end up with even more tyranny. You know, I mean, you gotta, you gotta think about like, like, you know, you got your principles and I mean, ideal, perfect libertarian principles would be like, okay, no government or very minimal government. We're not going to get involved, non-intervention. Okay. But then what, what if the Nazis won and, and you know, it's like that, that, uh, that, that, uh, I think it's an Amazon prime movie where it's like this alternate future where they've won. Yeah. Um, Man in the high castle. Yeah, we don't want that. You know that. So, so you've got to stop the tyranny when you can and where you can. And um, I hate to say compromise because I don't like to compromise on things. But, but you, you know, if you're, you've got to be true to liberty above all else. If you don't compromise on liberty, then some of these things probably would make sense. You know, because you're you're protecting other people's rights. Yeah, I think what you're speaking to is something that a lot of people, I think myself included, have discovered in the last couple of years. Um, yeah, you can be. You can be the you can have theoretical liberty all you want. No one's going to stop you from being right or for having the right philosophy. Um, the challenge is getting it in your own life and dealing with what life and what governments at various levels or nowadays even corporations throw at you to undermine your liberty. And I think if you want to be purely correct, you're you're basically going to have both your hands behind your back in that fight. Yep, exactly. But you'll be but you'll be right. So yeah, whatever. <laughs> Like I said, I know a big part of your motivation was the COVID tyranny of the last couple of years. And uh, it's certainly been a lot of my motivation with like everything I talk about nowadays. Um, and it's certainly affected my personal life a lot, which I've talked about a lot on the show. Um, but one thing I've been trying to talk about a lot more, which I'm less of an expert in, but I I'm aware of the looming threat of it. And it's something you mentioned earlier on in this interview. That is the the CBDC. So I've, it's been, I've discussed it on the show a few times with various guests, but for anybody who might be tuning in, who's not familiar with it or why it is such a threat. Can you kind of break that down for us? Yeah, sure. So, so a CBDC is a central bank digital currency. And what it is, is the government coming and saying, hey, look, here's this fancy digital money that you can put on your phone and it's real money. You don't need PayPal. It's real dollars. Uh, they're right here and they're right from the fed. So you can trust them. And it's kind of digital, almost like a cryptocurrency. So that's the pitch. Sounds great, right? <laughs> yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. The drawback is, of course, that that gives them control. And what we saw Trudeau do with the truckers is he shut them down by shutting off their PayPal and their Visa and their ability to get donations. What a central bank digital currency would do is shut off the money itself. You could have dollars and then your dollars do not work anymore. They're not dollars anymore. They're fizzled, burned nonsense. They can literally break your money and just by you specifically. And since it's digital, they can target it to you as a person. So in a digital world, control over 
whether money is real or not, or control over someone's wealth at a at a federal government level is totally unacceptable because that leads to total tyranny. It's game over. It's the one thing we cannot risk because if they have this power, it is T minus X until it becomes total tyranny. All it takes is a few things. You know, they'll blame a, 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 an emergency or a terrorist attack and they'll expand it and they'll say, well, now we're going to only freeze the accounts of terrorists. And then one little bit later, some other tyrant will, tyrant will come in and change the definition of ter- terrorist. And before you know it, uh, you know, we'll have President Kamala or, you know, the, the, the massive surveillance state that she will be in control of. And they'll just decide that they're going to shut off, you know, just like they shut people off social media for hate speech or whatever. Um, and they'll sh- shut off people's money. And then it's game over. We couldn't have this conversation because you wouldn't be able to buy internet and I wouldn't be able to either. And we wouldn't have email and I wouldn't be able to drive anywhere. Uh, without money, I mean, even the most rugged preppers I know, I mean, without money, it's, it's pretty hard. You can use alternate forms of money, but um, it's a power we absolutely cannot allow them to have. CBDCs are a big, big danger. I'm, I'm one of the few people talking about this that I know of. I mean, and the scary thing about the CBDC, I mean, as opposed to even, even now, like, yeah, I guess that for any reason, the government could probably tell a bank to, to freeze your bank account or something like that. Um, but when that happens, well... You know, you, you froze your bank account. That sucks, but you can go earn more money. Um, but the CBDC, they can actually lock you out of money, of the concept of money. Yes, exactly. So how do you go about, I mean, like a, a, in terms of your Senate campaign in, in particular, or, or say if you were actually to become the senator from uh, from one of the senators from, from New Hampshire, what can actually be done about this? I mean, is it is it more just something where you, we need to just at least first now, since so many people really understand the threat of it, use that bully pulpit yeah. to spread the message about it? But I'm curious what you would support, maybe legislatively. Would you support like an outright ban on the CBDC, for example? Yeah, yeah, I, I would. I would definitely support a uh, a ban on the federal government issuing a central bank digital currency or any currency that is digitally controlled and, and could in any way ever 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 be shut down. And and the only way I know how to do that is is through some kind of open source code that can't be changed. And we already have one. It's called Bitcoin. It works pretty darn well. So we don't really need to invent new money. Fed doesn't need to be in the money business at all anyway. Government doesn't. But if they are, and to the extent that they are, and I don't believe as a solo senator, I have the power to get the government out of the money business or adopt the, the Bitcoin standard. But we don't know that. These are crazy times. Like I say, we don't know what's going to happen in two years. In two years, I could end up being the Winston Churchill of the, uh, you know, of the Senate because, you know, he was warning about, about the Nazis before anybody, they all thought he was crazy. And then a couple of years later, they, they, he, he became the most popular. I mean, that could absolutely happen. I could be talking about this tyranny and stuff and I could be, you know, a lone oddball like, 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 uh, you know, some of the others, there's not lone, but a handful of other senators who do this kind of thing, like Rand Paul, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, any anything can happen uh, in these crazy times, and we may have such you know massive economic turmoil or uh, you know creeping tyranny or anything that anything's possible. As far as what you can do, yeah, you could you could you could offer legislation to prevent it. You could certainly vote against it if anybody tries to do it. You you have different powers. The filibuster is a great power. I'm actually doing my own filibuster on Monday. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a long long time, starting at nine in the morning about liberty. I'm just gonna keep talking. And uh, in the Senate, you can do that, and as long as you can hold the floor, you can keep talking. And uh, that can actually delay and in some cases even end up causing legislation to be canceled. And like you mentioned, you can use the pulpit to you know, attract attention, news, news coverage and things like that. Um, so you, you, know, you can do what you can do. Senators aren't that powerful really in our system. They're, you're only one of a hundred. But 
you do have power and you can exercise that power and your, your, your voice for the people, which is, which is also great because it, it means you, um, you know, hopefully people who maybe don't agree with everything that I believe in will say, all right, yeah, that's fine. He's, it's not like he's going to break the break every something they like, you know, they might like something. I, I, I can't break it single-handedly, you know, you mentioned Rand Paul there. And I think he's, he's kind of famous or infamous, I guess, prior to all of his, uh, you know, back and forth with Fosse. He was pretty, no, pretty well known, um, for using that filibuster. Um, and obviously that sounds like something you would be happy to use, uh, were you to become a Senator as well. Have you thought about what being a Senator beyond that would, could really look like in terms of what you could do. Would you see it more as like using a filibuster basically as a, as a, either a bully pulpit or just a way to sort of hold le- legislation, maybe draw attention on yourself and therefore the issue you're trying to talk about? Or have you actually thought like, all right, what, what kind of legislation could I put together? Like, could I work with a Rand Paul or even like some, some guys that aren't terrible, like a Mike Lear, for example? I mean, how much thought have you got into of like, what could this actually look like if I found myself in Washington, D.C.? Oh, God forbid for six years. <laughs> yeah, no, I've thought about it a great deal. You know, I right before I even announced and before I made the final decision, I thought about all aspects of that, including what my life is like, you know, because it's a big, big sacrifice yeah. to leave this beautiful farm and go down to that, you know, spider infested swamp. Um, so that's a big deal. You know, I, I looked into like, you know, how many days do you physically have to be down there? What do you do? And as far as like the actions, I think a lot of the, the, current system is kind of broken, you know, politics as usual is kind of broken. So, um, doing things differently. I'm a disruptor. You know, I'd like to figure out how much I can disrupt. One of the first things, probably if I were to be elected, the first thing I would do is meet Rand Paul. And I'd say, I met him a few weeks, you know, month, month or so ago. I, I met him a couple years ago. Uh, so I've met him a few times, but I, but I'd, I'd go in and, and he knows I'm running and everything, but I'd go in and I'd say, Great, great to have you as a colleague. You're, you're, the, you're the one I think I'm most aligned with, and you've been here a long time, and you're, you're, you, you know what you're doing. So please give me some advice. You know, give me. What, Can I tag along? <laughs> yeah. What, what do you think would be a good way for me to accomplish the things that I care about in liberty? Because he knows a lot of these. You know, and that goes. You know, there's members of Congress and others. You know, Thomas Massey. He's on Congress. He, I'd look him up right away too. You know, and and um, although he's not in the Senate, he certainly knows the rules, and they they may have thoughts say hey you know what bruce don't don't bother trying to put this bill forward that's just going to piss everybody off and it's never going to go anywhere try and do this bill instead or co-sponsor this with me or do this thing or you know what don't do the filibuster here that's a wasted opportunity do it over here you know i would listen to those kind of folks and i'd probably get a lawyer very quickly you know who would give me advice on like what powers do i have as a senator to disrupt and and uh, cause a little bit of trouble and shake up the swamp a little bit. And then there's, there's your standard things, just kind of how you vote and what you do and whether you do, you know, doing a filibuster or something like that. You know, there's quite a few procedural things. There's a lot of different things. You can question people. You can, you can uh, subpoena people um, for, for hearings and you, and it's a big deal. Like you have to go, you know, so that's why, that's why they're able to get people like Zuckerberg to show up and get more press because they just make you. Um, there's a lot of things like that, that, that are, possible. You also do confirmation hearings for judges and for uh, flag officers in the military. Um, so yeah, there's quite a few things you can do. And I, I would just every turn at every opportunity, every way without compromise, look for ways to you know, reduce tyranny and increase freedom. I'm curious, Bruce. I mean, I think the reasons you're running as a Republican are very obvious because you actually want to win this seat and you want to actually affect some things at the legislative level. Um, 
but I, I'm curious that you've been following along. I'm sure you're very well aware of the Mises Caucus takeover of the Libertarian Party. I'm curious how you view that, um, I guess, both on sort of a personal level, what, like what you just think of it in terms of the messaging and that sort of thing, but then where you think that could possibly go politically. Do you think it could get to a, a point where, you know, maybe the Libertarian Party isn't, you know, not, you know, winning congressional seats left and right or anything like that, but could they become power enough to powerful enough or large enough to matter in the sense of, you know, maybe we're the 3% difference in a race, a 2% difference in a race. And now you have to give us a concession of some kind. Yeah. I mean, I, I love those folks. I like the Mises caucus and I support, I, I've, I, somehow I've managed to stay out of most of the never ending drama in the libertarian circle. And here I am trying to suck you right in. <laughs> I don't know. I, I like everybody. And I, you know, there's a lot of infighting in libertarian circles, a lot of drama. And I somehow I've managed to avoid it, especially weird that I'm here in New Hampshire where there's a lot of it, maybe more than anywhere, you know. Um, but I like them all. I mean, I like people who care about liberty and freedom and, and uh, you know, however they want to do that. Anybody who's out there speaking, I mean, I could be running for dog catcher. And if I'm on your podcast and your listeners are hearing it, we're doing something. Both of us are doing something for liberty and they're doing something by listening. Hopefully they're even if they disagree, they're they're fine tuning their thoughts or figuring out some point that you or I make that they agree with, or maybe sharing it. You know, we've all got to do this. These ideas are important and we've got to get them out. And, uh, you know, yeah, I, I hope that we, I'd like to see a libertarian, libertarian, stronger libertarian party, a much stronger Liberty Republican. I'd like to see the Liberty take over the Republicans. And then I'd like to see a libertarian Democrat wing come about. And we've just, all of us push everything more towards liberty and freedom. We have to, we have to, the pendulum swung way too far the other way, I think, and hope that will happen. I really hope it'll happen. I'd love to see libertarian Democrats even just kind of swing the whole pendulum the other way. Uh, and it's happened before. And I think it'll happen again. I certainly hope, hope so. Uh, and, and, it, and I hope it's not with, you know, 30 years of tyranny first. Well, let's hope not. Yeah. I mean, uh, if we, if we got 30 years of tyranny, uh, like the last two years, uh, yeah, we're, yeah. It's going to be interesting, I, I guess you could say. Um, Bruce, thank you so much for, for coming on and uh, you know batting this stuff around with me. Uh, before I let you go, why don't you just let everybody know where they can find more information about your campaign and how they can support what you're doing. Yeah, so uh, brucefenton.com. Uh, I think right round, round when this is released, I'll be doing the filibuster uh, July 18th. Um, and my website's brucefenton.com. We, 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 you know, we'd love to dab donations. I hate asking for donations, but it is, it's a reality of politics. So if you, you know, if you can donate, especially if you're some OG crypto person or something, uh, that's appreciated. Support is appreciated. Volunteers, especially if you're in New Hampshire, you know, be sure to vote, vote in the primary and vote in the general and, uh, you know, get involved, you know, go, run for office, go to your school board, you know, support a candidate like me. Maybe you say, oh, I don't feel like supporting. I don't feel like running myself. All right. Do, pretend you're running and, and just help me instead, you know, get, donate 10 hours of time, you know, or to some other candidate, somebody in your own state or whatever. But it is important for us to get involved and it, because we've got to reverse this tyranny and we've got to bring freedom back and make our country as good as we can ever make it. All right. Well, Bruce Fenton, uh, we'll certainly have our eye on your campaign and uh, definitely wish you the best of luck. So keep up the great work. Uh, keep on roaring. Thank you so much. Have a good one. All right, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Bruce Fenton, one of the many faces I'm hoping to see in person when I'm at YAL Revolution 2022 in Orlando, Florida. That is taking place August 4th through 6th. You can find more over at yaliberty.org slash 
revolution. Uh, I believe there are a few st- spots left. You do have to reserve a spot and get and apply. It's a, it's a whole thing, but I will be speaking there on a panel along with Reed Coverdale of the Naturalist Capitalist, as well as Clint Russell from Liberty Lockdown. And some people have been out there kind of criticizing. Well, you know, it's no secret. Yal has taken some flack. Um, uh, Reed Cooley has been uh, saying a lot of things and, and put a lot, out a lot of evidence. I did bring a lot of this stuff up in my interview with Dan Taylor of Young Americans for Liberty. That was a bonus episode that you can find over on the Lions of Liberty with Mark Claire feed. By the way, while you're there, if you could leave me a five-star rating and a great review, that would be much, much appreciated. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, yeah, I, I saw a lot of the stuff that came out about y'all and the current leadership. And, uh, you know, I, I would agree with the people that would say they didn't like to see that stuff. Uh, so, and I'm certainly not going to any uh, to any event to say anything other than what I believe or and what I think. And I will go absolutely anywhere. I would go speak in front of communists, I will go speak in front of whoever uh, as long as what I'm going to say and what I want to say uh, is not being censored or filtered in any way. And Yal is certainly not doing that. They are providing an open forum for me to say whatever the hell I want on this panel about how to be a Liberty Warrior. So I'm excited to do it. Uh, I'm excited to hang out with Clint and Reed and so many other people. Uh, Dave, of course, hoping to see Dave Smith there. Met him a few times. And, you know, at the end of the day, Putting the uh, the hands to hands, I guess you could say, uh, you know, having those handshakes because, of course, I, I've seen many of these people's faces uh, doing interviews. Uh, but uh, to actually, you know, shake hands and meet people is, is always a blast. So I am looking forward to doing that at Yal Revolution 2022. So check that out and. Wish me luck, friends. Wish me good vibes, because uh, this coming week, within 24 hours of most of you hearing this, I will be taking myself and my family to the free state of Florida. That is right. Um, we're officially making it happen. And uh, I know anybody that's been kind of following along here knows that I've been through a lot of stuff uh, professionally, uh, personally, legally, not not in legal trouble, but in dealing with U.S. immigration. And uh, it has just been a, a hell of a long journey. And we're really, really excited. So I could use all the good vibes, all the well wishes, all of the prayers, all of that stuff. Uh, so whatever it is of that you do, I would really appreciate anybody sending those my way. And uh, that's all I really have to say about that. So until next time, when I will be a, a Florida man officially, live long and live free and live free and live free and live free. And live free.